Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. There it is, and there I am, and I am happy to be coming to you all for our season finale. I can't believe that we're in our third season finale. This is, I think, our 40th episode. We fell one short of our goal this semester, but we did a bonus episode over the summer. I'm counting it. That's 40 episodes. So I don't know. I don't know when we'll stop, but probably not at 41. That's my guess. Anyway, before we get to episode number 41, we have to get through episode number 40. And it is my absolute pleasure to be joined by yet another ASU person. But this guest is very special because, of course, uh, the man over here to my left uh, is the man who oversaw my dissertation project, my former chair, now colleague, Dr. Paul Mangeau. So happy to have you on the show finally. Hey, glad to be here. This sounds great. And, you know, if you're talking about interesting topics in interpersonal communication, I don't know if you're ever going to run out. So, uh, yeah, we could go forever. And, uh, uh, for, by the way, for any students listening, uh, please do remember that there will be a Communicating in Close Relationships course beginning in the spring of 2022 taught by yours truly. So look out for more classes like that. Um, excited to do it and excited to have you here because I am speaking with uh, who many refer to as the godfather of Friends with Benefits <laughs> Research, which is going to be the title of today's episode, The Godfather. How do you feel about that title? Uh, I'm feeling a little more like Marlon Brando all the time. Now. <laughs> Actually, it's I'm the godfather of the research. I'm not the godfather of the phenomenon. My <laughs> wife really wants to make sure I make that clear. So that's a very good point. That's a, okay. Yes, the godfather of friends with benefits research. And actually, right. there's there's a study that I want to bring up that was just published uh, fairly recently in personal relationships. It was a longitudinal study. Really, really cool stuff. Um, but before we get to that, we need to talk about like the phenomenon itself. And uh, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you may remember when we had at the time grad student Nikki Trucelli on, now Dr. Trucelli, when she was on, we spent a little bit of time sort of like defining what friends with benefits are, talking about their features and coming to like this weird, vague understanding of, well, this is like a relationship that's pretty much permanently in limbo. It's extremely dynamic. It's very flexible. And so, of course, folks like you and I, Paul, we, we don't like that. We like to be able to count. We like to be able to pre be precise. We like to be able to measure. So that's right. how we're going to lead off. Um, your work originally classified seven different types of friends with benefits relationships. And then quickly we realized that that's a little difficult for statistical analyses. And so the direction that you've been taking things in is a measurement. And if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, the um, X and Y axis on which friends with benefits can be measured is uh, closeness and romantic interest. So right. if I've got that right, tell me why those two variables, like how are they different from each other and why not some other variables for this specific type of relationship? Yeah, that's a, that's a real good question. And um, you're exactly right that the, 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 the types is intuitively appealing. And I've done types research and I come up with lists of first date goals and things like that in a lot of my research. And so, but from a statistical standpoint, you're trying to figure out exactly how these, these relationships differ statistically, it, it's real clunky. 
So it's kind of like the attachment research because they started with three types and then they went to four types and then they went to, to two dimensions. And once they went to the dimensions, the kinds of questions you can ask, the kinds of issues you can deal with become much more interesting, much more complex. So uh, we looked at just the nature of the types, right? And that that when you go back to the the you know the 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 seven the seven types you know original piece, we kind of talked it. We broke it down. Said okay, some of the some of these types differ in terms of how close people are, right? They have very little interaction to their very close friends and very important to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other way of, of thinking about it is, is that they all, the rest of them seem to have something to do with romantic relationships in one way or the other. So it, it sprung somewhat naturally from the, the types themselves. But uh, back, what, three or four years ago now, there was a, a conference in Toronto Mm-hmm. And we did a poster session, and we we all we had on the poster was the seven types on one side, and then the other side of the poster was blank. And so I'm sure there <laughs> yeah. were a lot of people going, "Gee, this poor guy couldn't even finish his poster." <laughs> but what we wanted people to do is to write down how they thought the the, the relationships, uh, the the types differed. And so, and you know, and that's I think still in the grad lounge down in on the third floor. I was about to ask, is that still hanging? I hope it is. It's it's the most fun poster I've never seen. Folks engage at. Okay, for those listening, at academic conferences, you have these things called poster sessions, which is kind of where you send like ideas that are in the working, and you print out a poster, and people like walk up to the poster and ask you questions. They're usually not super popular. I've never seen people engage with a poster the way that, they, I think people just like yeah. to draw. Uh, but yeah. it gave it gave the, the team uh, at the, you know, at the time um, we were both working on, it gave that research team some really good information. So I think, right. I think that those two variables were a really good choice to settle on. And of course the data that we have and are trying to publish demonstrate how effective those two particular items of romantic interest and closeness are at gauging the mechanisms in friends with benefits relationships. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the the, the fun part about it was is is it t- asking people to write on a poster because that's it's <laughs> like you never it's like you barely touch it. You know, you put so much work on it, you get it printed out, you had to lug it to the to the the conference. And once people started writing, it was easy. But initially, it was like, you you really want me to do this? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, you're right. You know, I, I, it, it, it seems to flow reasonably from the types, from how people thought about it and, and looked at it. So, Right. So, all right. Now that we've put all of our listeners to sleep with statistical discussions, uh, right. <laughs> let's. Um, one of the big things that I remember when we were talking about this, this must have been my third year in grad school, we were talking about what are the, what are the variables that we should use? And one of the variables that I was really harping on and still do uh, to this day is um, sexual interest because I still right. believe that there's a, you know, if there were to be a Z axis, it would be how sexually interested am I in my friends with benefits relationship? And I think conceptually when people hear that, they go, what? Like, isn't, isn't sex the whole point? But of course the research tells us that there's a variety of reasons why people engage in these relationships. I think about like the Hughes Morrison and Asada piece from 2005, where they talked about the initial motivations. I think about the, the piece that we did with Carly, Carly Poster, 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 yeah. Poster and, and um, 
Elena Veluzchek, where we uncovered the, the bevy of emotions. I mean, ranging from, you know, of course, sex to, you know, emotional desire to convenience to friendship. And uh, then of course the sliding category where like people just like woke up in the same bed one day and they were like, uh oh, I guess this is kind of happening now. Right, right. So I think with <clears throat> those concepts comes this idea of not all friends with benefits relationships are created equally in terms of romanticism or closeness or sexual activity. So my question to you is, is it possible to have a friends with benefits relationship that involves no sex at all? Or perhaps uh, on the other hand, asked more s simply, is it possible to be in a friends with benefits relationship for reasons other than sex? That's a great question. And you know, in part, it comes down to who gets to decide. Right. If it's if it's an academic, it's like, OK, we we predefine <laughs> the concept. So we define friends with benefits as sex. So from that sort of perspective, the answer to your question would be no, that if it's if there's no sexual interest, there's no sexual interest and no sexual behavior, then it's not friends with benefits. On the other hand, if you look at it in terms of which is where the 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 types came from in the first place, is you let people narrate what what's happening to them, I would say it could be absolutely um, that you know you, you look back to when the, the term first emerged, the mid '90s, so about '96 or so, was the first time I heard students use the term. Wasn't it an Alanis Morissette song? Exactly, called right. Head Over Feet. Yes, right? at the very, very and end it, of Head Over Feet, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, the, the, it, the ironic part is that she's talking about a romantic partner who mm -hmm. is, you know, but she, you're my best friend, my best friend with benefits was the, is the line from the song. And so friends kind of, uh, the students took it and kind of uh, transformed it into, to, and so at that point, it was a code word, right? If you didn't know, and somebody said, well, I'm in a friends with benefits relationships, you wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't really know what you're talking about. You could tell your mom and your mom would go, oh, that's so nice. You're in a, you're in a special friendship. Right? <laughs> As it's become more widely known, it's less useful. It can't be a code word anymore. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, using the term friends with benefits to describe a non-sexual relationship is, is sort of, it, it's it, what goes around comes around. Right. That now they're using the the um, the code word in an entirely different way. So so you know yes. I, in answer to your question, yeah, I think that could certainly be. Uh, it depends upon you know how you're 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 defining things. Um, you know because and, and also things change over time, right? Mm -hmm. Which is one of the real complicating factors of friends with benefits. So. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think so. It would be an interesting question to ask, or maybe it's yes, there is sex involved, but that's not really something I'm particularly interested in. Mm -hmm. It's not really my primary goal. I'm I'm in it for some other reason. So yeah. Yeah, and the reason I asked that, of course, is because the motivations piece that we published, I think, in the Canadian Journal of Human Sexuality, is really depressing. And this is something that we right. talked about when Nikki was on the show. And it's something that is reoccurring in the Friends with Benefits letter literature. I would argue that Friends with Benefits research is dark side communication research. These are 
mostly unsatisfying relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so this is where I want to bring in the study. This is out of uh, Justin LaMiller's program. Um, it was just published in personal relationships recently. And it was, a, they, they basically just collected data from friends with benefits partners. And they said, Hey, where are you now? And then at time two, right. they said, where are you now? Uh, and mm -hmm. did you want to change? And if so, were you successful? Basically what they found <clears throat> is that not the majority, but the plurality of relationships, about 30% of, of folks uh, transitioned from being in a friends with benefits relationship to having no relationship at all. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting, and this is something that goes against, I think, a lot of the uh, stereotypical thoughts about friends with benefits relationship, almost 60% of friends with benefits partners in this study made it out of a friends with benefits relationship and returned to a platonic relationship. And this is the first kind mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, that result is the first of its mm -hmm. kind that I've heard of, because I think normally what we find is that those folks either move into a romantic relationship and they're one of the transition in types or they just like that 30, 31 percent. They just stop. But I was shocked right. to see how many of them in this study moved into a friendship. And that's what makes me think of the the is sex really that important in these relationships or is it like you know you suggested so many funk buddy meetings ago uh, right. where the friends with benefits has now become the tool through which partners test what kind of relationship do i want with this person is it that young people are just getting more comfortable with the idea of sexuality and sex in general and they just allow it to permeate their lives what do you, i don't right. know what do you think about that oh i think that's a great point um you know in in some ways it's uh it, it, it's new and it's old at the same time that that back when i you know back in the jurassic era when i was in high school you know, we, the, you know, the, the terms were like casual and serious dating and that you went through the casual dating phase. It was sort of this ambiguous. We're not sure what's going on. We're not sure who we are to each other. And if things go OK, then we move into serious dating and and then sex becomes sort of a consummation of the relationship. To me, the biggest change that's happened in the past you know, 30, 40 years since I've been doing first date and friends with benefits research is uh, that sex is happening earlier on in the, in the, in the, in the stage of relationships. And so, um, so, so, so the, the, you know, we, we, we kind of get together and it's this kind of ambiguous, we're not sure what's going on. We're not, you know, we sort of might be investigating romantic potential, but we're not sure. And if it just doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We don't go far enough that, you know, it's going to seriously harm the friendship if, if there is one. Uh, and mm -hmm. maybe it just kind of fizzles out altogether and you never see the partner again. Right. I mean, to me, and this is what I've been saying this whole time, like that just sounds like dating. It just sounds right. like yeah. it sounds yeah. like like normal dating. And it's just that society is getting uh, more comfortable with doing things like having sex regularly or routinely, it's a little bit less taboo than it used to be. I think right. back to like the books that I had to read for my comprehensive exams. There's uh, uh, from the from the front porch to the back seat. Right. There's uh, I forget the name of Bogle's book. I think it was just called Hooking Up. Okay. Right. Right. Yep. And yep. both of those books do a really good job of describing the chronology of dating. And I think yeah. we're due in 2021, 2022, I think we're due for another one of those books 
where we break down, okay, well, what happened in between 2008 and now? Because there's been yeah. a lot, especially with yep. the advent of online dating and technology. Yep. No, I, I agree with you 100%. And for anybody watching, uh, I strongly recommend both those books, Kathleen Bogle's book on hooking up and Beth Bailey's book, From the Front Porch to the Back Seat. Mm -hmm. And the, the important thing about the Bailey book it, to me is because it covered uh, from 1900 through the the late 60s. It kind of it stops mm -hmm. at the beginning of the sexual revolution, mm -hmm. which is in some ways unfortunate. But one of the things that was really interesting to me is that during that period, the the norms and the the kind of the scripts for dating shifted 180 degrees about every 15 or 20 years. Yeah, and and so. And to, to one extent, it strikes me that it, that happens simply to daze and confuse the parents, right? <laughs> that, that I don't want to be doing the same thing my parents were doing so they can't give me advice, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, I think that this is just another one of those. It's kind of a natural progression. It's the, the technology is such with online dating, with, uh, you know, the, you, can, you can do a, a three o'clock sup text um, with, with another person. So, I mean, there's, there's more ways for people to get together, but I think you're right that this, this is in a lot of ways dating with a different label mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be something you don't have to talk about. You don't have to have rules, but then of course you do have to talk about it. You do have to have rules. And so it's a real interesting kind of communicative conundrum in a way. Yeah. Speaking of communicative conundrums, that sort of leads me into the last thing that I wanted to talk about here. The the data, specifically some of the data that we've collected, as well as what some other folks uh, in their programs of research have studied, is that this particular type of relationship is rife with miscommunication, uh, lack of yep. communication, cross yep. wires, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that this is all um, accidental. I think very often we'll see these folks intentionally creating ambiguity. That's one right. thing. I think though that there's another substantially large portion of people in these relationships who are desperately trying to figure out what's going on and looking for clarity and transparency. So my question is from a communication standpoint, what are some things that friends with benefits partners can do to help increase that transparency or to make those conversations easier to engage in? Do you have any advice for FWB partners? It depends somewhat on what their goals are, whether they see this as something that they want to extend into the future that they want, you know, is there romantic interest? Are you trying to gauge the other person's romantic interest? Uh, I think that if if this is, you know, what, what the old just sex type or the only time we get together is it, you know, when the bar is closed and we just happen to run into each other and go off and have sex, you know, that's a pretty clear indicator there's no interest in. And so there's really no sense in, in talking and laying down the ground rules. On the other hand, if it's if it's something where there's. Uh, some potential for some closer, uh, you know, kind of ongoing relationship, then I think it's it, people have to talk. People have to gain an understanding of, you know, what's acceptable and not, you know, wh what am I going to get excited about and what am I going to get, you know, what am I going to abhor in terms of your behavior? Mm -hmm. So can we can we see other people? 
right? Is this is this casual friends with benefits or is this serious friends with benefits, right? Are we exclusive? Can can we engage in uh, what? The, I don't remember if it was our piece or one of the, another piece I read. It's like you know we've got a rule that says we don't have others we don't have sex with other people on the same day. Okay, <laughs> you know, but you know, so so you know. It, trying to get a sense of you know where are we where do we want and even if it's just where are we we're in this amorphous kind of in-between state that's okay mm-hmm. you know but you're better off understanding that and then kind of thinking about okay how does that influence what we do externally because the, uh, the original definition of friends with benefits obviously friends who have sex but the phrase that was used all the time back in the late late 90s was no strings attached mm-hmm. right that the what we do has no influence on what i can do or what you can do with somebody else right and that it was supposed to be simple and so simple that you really didn't need to talk about it mm-hmm. you know which is probably okay for a while but as time goes on and as, you know, as people become more, you know, kind of emotionally attached, it becomes really difficult to manage without some relatively direct interaction between partners. So uh, it's, it's probably a hard thing to do. It's probably a hard thing to broach. But you're trying to, to read between the lines. You're, if you're not talking, you're trying to figure out what another person is feeling in a context where you're not supposed to indicate that, you, that you're really all that interested in the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think and that's you, it. I think it's, you're not supposed to do this, right? Right, exactly. But, of course, there's the desire to – you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of NSYNC. Remember when NSYNC came out with that album, No Strings Attached? They had uh, no, I, I, I didn't. Uh, huge popular boy yeah. band album. It went double diamond, right? It right. was called No Strings Attached. But yeah. the cover of the album features all the members of NSYNC with strings attached to them. So it's like you're yep. calling it No Strings Attached. But yeah. as I look at it and I see what's going on, there's strings everywhere. Perhaps right. more strings than in a traditional relationship. Right. So it's difficult. Uh, <laughs> That's an interesting thought. More strings. Uh, as time goes on, and as these, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to think through that thought. As time goes on, and as the, the fact that you're in a friends with benefits relationship that lasts for months, that lasts for a semester, mm-hmm. that says something. What does it say? I don't know. Right. And so there are the strings are more imagined than real. Mm. Because if we don't talk about it, I'm trying to project what this relationship is, where this relationship is going. But I don't know if you're feeling the same thing. And so if if if, if the strings that that, you know, the, the restrictions on my behavior really make any sense. Yeah, 
Yeah, so, I, I think so, it's ironic, right? Because yeah, people enter yeah. these relationships because they want simplicity because, you know, in, in some cases they want, you know, a, a true proper relationship, but they'll just, you know, take what they can get. But I think a lot of folks are desperate for uh, the idea of a fulfilling relationship that doesn't come with baggage, but unfortunately, all mm -hmm. relationships come with baggage, including like platonic friendships. Right. So it's it's yeah, a it's yeah. a difficult concept to sort of grapple with, right? You want this connection, but you also want, especially for college students, you want to be free. You want to be, you know, you want to feel like you've got your options, right? Quality of alternatives is at its highest level ever. So right. I, I don't know. I don't know if there are any things that these folks can do in terms of messaging that doesn't take that relationship from that strategically ambiguous place and bring it into a more concrete definition. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think a lot of people who engage in them do think it's a bad thing. Right, right. But but if if the if the the strategic ambiguity is fine if there is no if you don't have a good sense of what you want in the mm -hmm. long term in the relationship. I agree. But if you want a particular outcome, you want things to go in a particular direction, then the strategic ambiguity is 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 problem becomes problematic. All right. Well, on that note, thank you for coming on, Paul. Really appreciate it. Um, no problem. Glad to do it. And thanks, everybody, for three successful seasons. We will be back in the spring. I don't know what we'll be talking about, but I promise you we will be here. See you in the spring. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.